listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Happy Mother's Day and all of that. And uh, glad you're here. In fact, let's do this. Why don't you, if you're by... Uh, just uh, a woman, because she has a mother, she will be a mother, she might be a mother, whatever. Just turn and look at her and say, you look beautiful today. All right, come on, do that. This is not a pickup line. This is just a friendly church thing. I want to say welcome to everybody that's joining us online, Facebook Live and all that. We're so glad that you're with us. Thankful for your presence uh, here. I know it's not Christmas time. I'm well aware of that. But there's a story that I have heard so many times over the years. Now, it was told by a guy that a lot of you have no idea who this is. Um, but he, he was a guy named Paul Harvey. In fact, let me just ask, how many of you remember Paul Harvey? Would you lift your hand? Look around you. Those are all the old people right there, all right? <clears throat> and... Uh, Anyhow, he would tell this story every Christmas time, and I think he told the story, if you don't know who he is, Google him, you you can figure it out, but I think he told this story to help people who were confused about what the meaning behind Christmas really is. Just a beautiful story, and so I'm going to kind of just jump into it, and I won't tell it nearly as well as he did, but it's such a great story. It's the story of a man who was not by any means a Scrooge. He was mostly a good guy. He just didn't believe in all that incarnation stuff that churches talk about at Christmas time, the idea that God came to earth and became a man. So he told his wife and children on Christmas Eve, he said, I won't be going with you to church this evening. I'd feel like I'm a hypocrite. And so they left, and shortly after that, a winter storm rolled in. He watched the flurries getting heavier and heavier through the window. And then he went back to his fireside chair, but minutes later he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, and then another. And at first he thought someone might be throwing snowballs against his living room window, but when he went to investigate, he found that a flock of birds were huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm, and in a desperate search for shelter, they'd tried to fly through the window. He felt like he couldn't just let them lie there and freeze to death. And so he thought of the barn where they stabled their pony. That'd be a warm shelter for them. He just had to direct the birds to it. So he quickly trampled through this deepening snow to the barn and he opened the doors and he turned on the light. But the birds did not come in. So he figured maybe food would entice him. He got breadcrumbs and he sprinkled a trail from them to the open doorway. But to his dismay... The birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. Then he tried catching them and then shooing them into the barn. But they would just scatter in every direction except the warmth of the barn. And then he realized they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned to himself, I'm a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they could trust me. I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt them. I want to help them. But how? Because any move I make seems to frighten and confuse them. They just will not follow. And then he thought, if only I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language. 
And then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to safety. But I'd have to become one of them so that they could see and hear and understand. And at that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the howling of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells, bells ringing the glad tidings of Christmas. And in realization, he sank to his knees in the snow. Every time I heard him tell that story, every time, even when I read it, not nearly as well as he said it, I've become aware of this remarkable love of God that God said, you don't get it. You don't get it. So I will come and I will become one of you and I will speak your language and I will experience what you experience and I will feel what you feel so that I can communicate in you, with you in such a way that you will see and that you will know and that you will understand. That's actually what God did for us. It gets me every time. And all of it, all that we experience, the pull of temptation, the, the crushing weight of then sinning and making the mistake, he experienced all of it. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have it talking about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So he knows what it's like to experience temptation. And then you say, but he doesn't know what it's like to have succumbed to it and have fallen into sin and and borne that guilt and that shame. But the Bible clearly teaches us that yes, he does. Because on the cross, Scripture tells us he bore the pain and the shame and the sin of all humankind. He felt the weight and the grief and the humiliation. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows the feelings that come from having fallen to the sin. He knows it all. Throughout 2,000 years, do you know why the Christian church has used the cross as a symbol of love, which is really, if you look at it, a symbol of brutality and evil in so many ways, and yet Christians see it as a sign of love because this was God who said, I will come and speak your language, and feel exactly what you feel so that you can see and understand and know that I love you. And that, if you want to know what true love looks like, that's actually what true love looks like. When God says, you may not believe it, but I get you. I know how you think. I know how you see. I speak your language. All of those things he gets us. I think you know this, but there's a deep longing inside of every one of us simply to be fully understood. Some of you have said that. I've had so many people say it to me over the years, I just wish, they're talking about their husband or their wife or somebody in their family, I just wish they, I wish they would understand me. I wish they would not just judge me harshly, but they would, they would know what's going on in me. I wish they would. That's on the inside of all of us. And of course, this is exactly what Christ calls his followers to. Now, I'm aware that some of you may not be followers of Jesus. You're not sure where you stand in this whole thing with God and if there even is a God and all that. And I respect that. But for those of you who've said, I follow Jesus, this, you know, is his high calling for our lives. This is what he said. Probably my favorite verse in all of Scripture, John 13, 34. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Say the next three words out loud with me. 
Love one another. This is your mandate. This is your command, God says. You follow me. You love one another. And then he goes on to tell us how. As I have loved you, as I have loved you, as I felt what you felt and saw what you saw and spoke your language, as I have loved you, so, he says, you must love one another. This is really, and I want you to hear this on this weekend where we're talking about family in this series called This Is Us. I want you to hear this. This is our high calling. And probably nowhere in the world is it as, is it as important that we learn to speak the language and understand the perspective and really relate to the person that we're trying to love as it is in our own families. And yet so often, and you know this is true, so often in our own homes, amongst our own families, amongst that group, we say, this is us, this is our broken, tattered group, whoever it is, we are there in the same house, but because we do not speak the same language, because we do not understand the perspective of others, we're there, we're together, but we pass And we never really connect. Not at a deep level because we simply don't understand. We don't really see each other. We're speaking different languages. I mean, it's heartbreaking to say, but this is really really what happens because many of us, we make the mistake of kind of overlaying the template of what we think is right and how we see life and how we think one should respond. We overlay that template over everyone around us. We think they should be like us. And they should see things like us. And they should react like we react. In fact, we often do this to the extent that we'll actually overlay our perspective even when we read Scripture from the Bible and we'll interpret it in such a way. In fact, let me give you a verse from Proverbs that I think has for ages in many ways been misinterpreted by people. And it's one many of you are familiar with. It's Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And this is how so many of us have looked at this. It's like, well, I know how a child should go. I know the right way. I mean, I'm mature. I'm an adult. Unlike this ankle biter down here, whom I'm going to have to figure out and fix them and make them better. And of course, you do know many things they need to know. And it is part of your job as a parent to impart those things to them about integrity and honesty and character. But here's the problem, is that we overlay not just that template, but our entire perspective. So the way we see things and the way we think things should be done and the way we think you should respond in certain circumstances... We overlay all of that and we expect our kids to be made into the image of me, us. And so we misread this very simply. We misread this because you can, just how you place emphasis. So we read it, train up a child in the way he should go. And it's obvious. He should go the way I'm going. But if you read it properly, Let me just change the emphasis a little bit. Train up a child in the way he should go. In the way he's designed, in the way he is built or she is built by their creator. Train them up in the way they should go. In other words, not just the template of who you are and what you think is perfect and right, but train them up in the way they should go. And this is what too often is that we try to to push them to what we want them to be because... And this is the mistake we make because instead of reading this as, okay, what is the way 
he or she, these children of mine, these people in my life, what is the way they should go? How are they made? Instead of trying to understand them and learn them, we don't bother with that. We don't learn their language. Actually, I would contend this is not just something that happens with with your children or with family. I think this happens in relationships at work and all over the place. Some of you, you have someone at your workplace that you cannot stomach being around. You hate being around them because to you they seem obnoxious and repulsive in their behaviors. And you just, you think they're whatever. But you have never stopped to study them to find out what their perspective is, to learn the language that they speak. And this is the mistake that so many of us make. This happens all the time, is that we forget that God has made us uniquely and places in all of us different ways of seeing things, different ways of coming at life. And one of the mistakes we make is that because we're in the same family, we think we all must speak the same language. You're all speaking my language, right? Because my language is the right language. And we miss that we're all made unique. It's just not true that we all speak the same language or even the same dialect. I mean, you take it for what it's worth, but if you want a rich marriage, if you want a family that's got some health in it, I'm telling you, I hope you can hear this this weekend. And I'm I'm just going to be up front on this. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me, okay? But I think we all need to hear this. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we lose sight of the fact that in our families, we're all speaking different languages because we're uniquely made. And the way to address this is to understand that the high calling in my life is to love those around me as Christ has loved me. Now remember, he came to me. He spoke my language so that I could see and understand and be aware. And this is exactly what he calls us to do. Now I know some of you right now, you're going, well, if somebody in my family wants to communicate with me, then they can learn my language. How very American of you. We're guilty of that one, aren't we? It's like, you can learn our language. You want to come around here. We get this attitude. But can I just remind you, that is, in many ways, the antithesis of what Jesus taught his followers to live like. Many of you are familiar with this truth Jesus taught. This is Matthew 7, 12. We actually have a name for it. Jesus said, so in everything you do, so in everything, he says, do to others what you would have them do to you. So this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, you know this. We call this the golden what? The golden rule. You do for others. This comes from Jesus. You do for others. You do for your family. First, you do for them what you want them to do for you. So if you want to be understood, what are you supposed to do first? Understand. If you want them to know your language, if you want them to speak your way, Jesus says, here's what you do first. You love them, and you learned their language, and you speak their language. Which is exactly how he loved us. The Bible tells us, We love him because he first loved us. This is what we're called to. And the only way you're going to do it is if you make a study of the people in your family, if you learn them. Now, let me tell you, I've actually sat under an amazing tutor in this, and I hate to say it, it pains me to say it, but it is my wife. Yeah, and all the women are like, oh, yeah. Okay, well, that doesn't make you great. It's just her, all right? She's, she's amazing because 
She didn't, I don't think she, she got this early on, but somewhere in there, in her relationship with Christ, she came to this understanding that her high calling was to understand first and be understood second. I don't know how she got it. Ticks me off. She's not the preacher in the family. Why is this happening? But I've watched her for decades. And she has seen it as part of her high calling that she studies every member of her family. She, makes a, she becomes a student of them to learn how they speak and how they see things and how different ways they come. And she'd often, she still does this. She'll say to me, I know what you're thinking. I'm like, you don't know what I'm thinking. You're not the boss of me. You don't know. You don't know. And then she'll tell me what I'm thinking. And she's right. And I hate it. And it's not because we've lived together for, you know, as a married couple for 40-some years. It's not that. It's because she's made a study of me. And so when she speaks, she can actually speak in my language so that I understand it. And honestly, I aspire to be like her, you know, when I grow up or whatever happens to me. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And as we talk about family, this weekend, I just want to drive this home. One of the healthiest things that you can do, one of the single healthiest things you can do is learn how the members of your family speak and, and how they see life. Now, if you want to do it, you have to understand just a simple concept. It's, it's the idea of what it means what in, intuitive means. Intuitive is this thing that all of us have, that we respond to something intuitively. When you respond, so when I respond to something intuitively, what it means is, is I don't stop and go, now, how, what, I, I do, it's not a cerebral process. It is a gut process. Intuitive means I don't think about it, I don't process it, I just re- reflexively respond. You could say it this way, what is intuitive to you is what is hardwired into you. And this is neither a right or a wrong thing. It is the fact that God has made us uniquely different. And so we come at life from different perspectives. For one, this is intuitive. For another, this is intuitive. This is, this is really, this is the way God made us. You know, at one point the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about the idea that the, the family of God is this huge worldwide thing. And it's so unique and amazing because it's got so much variety in it because people are made differently. They're all part of the body of Christ, if you will, the family of God, just like we're all part of a, a family, but we're all unique and different. And in talking about this, he, he talks about this variety and how important it is to understand it's there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, the body's not made up of one part, but of what? Many, many, many parts. Now, he says, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I guess I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. In other words, he's saying, there's this amazing, remarkable uniqueness and creativity. And the foot's not better than the eye or the hand or whatever other part of the body is. They're all part, they're all uniquely, beautifully designed and made by God And there are things in you that are intuitive. In other words, you don't have to stop and go, okay, how should I respond here? You just do it. And you know what I'm talking about. We all have that. And these things are neither right nor wrong. They're just how you're built. Let me give you some examples. It's real simple stuff. And and most of you are familiar with this. So just picture a continuum. On one end, you have people who are extroverts. And then on the far other end of the continuum, you have people who are introverts. So so let me just ask, how many of you in this room would say, and you know what I mean by extrovert and introvert, right? Outgoing versus a person who's more reserved than that type of thing. How many of you would say you're extroverts? Just lift your hand up, all right? Yeah, and they're like, yeah, it's me, I'm an extrovert, you know? 
And then I could say, how many of you are introverts, but none of you would lift your hand anyhow. You'd just be like, mm. That's a fascinating thing, because, because you are neither right nor wrong by what you are. It's just how you see life. It's hardwiring. It's intuitive for you. And what happens is, is that when we fail to make a study of those that we are called to love, starting with our family, is that when they respond in their own intuitive way, but it is different than our intuitive way, we make a snap judgment because we assume that the way we would respond intuitively must be the right way. So an extrovert husband goes out to a gathering of people, a party, if you will, with his introvert wife, and he's out there in the middle of the room with the rest of the people joking and laughing and telling stories and all this stuff, and she's kind of back in a corner just, you know, smiling like nervously or uncomfortably, and, and, and he looks at her periodically, and he's like, you know, like, come on, get out of here, you know, what's wrong with you? And, and she's just like smiling like, no, no, so leave me alone. And, and then they get in the car afterwards and they're driving home, he's like, what's wrong with you? We go to these things and, and you leave me to do all the talking, you stand over there in a corner, you don't talk to anybody, you don't, do you think you're better than everybody else? No, she doesn't. It is how she is built. You know what they say, it's like, you know, extroverts love the party, introverts are not party poopers, they're just pooped by the party. (laughs) Really. Really, they go to something like that, it's a draining thing for them, and it makes them neither right or wrong. The husband isn't right because he's an extrovert, and the wife's not wrong, and it's not vice versa. Honestly, though, I think in this particular one, this, this orientation of how people come at life in an intuitive way, the extroverts tend to beat up on the introverts because they can, you know? Because the introverts would be like, all right, whatever. You know, and they just kind of back off. But neither one is right or wrong. You have to understand how important this is. Let me give you a couple other examples, all right? Some people are on the far end of the continuum, thinkers. Everything for them is cerebral, logical. They're going to do the math. They're going to make lists. They're going to figure it out. Okay, having done this, done the research and everything, this is the way we should go. And then other people on the far end of the spectrum, and what you need to be a, understand about these is so you have extreme thinker and extreme feeler, and most of us are somewhere in between, but you're always one side or the other of the dividing line. Okay? So the feeler... When a big decision comes up, they're not going to logically lay it all out and put it down on paper and chart it, map it out. They're going to they're gonna go, you know, I, I hear you saying all that, but man, I'm telling you, my gut says that's not the way to go, that we should go this way. And here's the problem, is that when you don't make a study of your family and know their perspective, what you see, the thinker believes that the feeler simply doesn't have a brain. And the feeler believes that the thinker doesn't have a heart. And neither one is right or wrong. It's simply intuitive to them. And the mistake that is so often made in families is that we don't learn, so what's intuitive to you? Because a lot of you in here, you're thinkers, and you're just like, anybody that's not a thinker, they're just stupid which proves you don't have a heart, all right? You know, I mean, that's, that's what the feeler's going to think. Let me, let, me, let me give you another example. Here's another one. Some people are just settle at people. Other people on the far end of the continuum are play by ear. So the just settle at people, like, for example, when you plan a trip, you plan everything. 
including potty breaks. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are, are in families with people like that, and, and they're just settled people. Whereas the play-by-ear people are like, what is wrong with you? We're going on vacation, not a business trip. It's like you can't determine when you're going to have to pee. It hits you. You can't, you can't just schedule a potty break. You know, you gotta, you got to be. And this is the thing. Neither one is right or wrong. It's just how they are built. And, and this is where I think so often we get in trouble because we're not learning from our family. Now, just as we need to learn what I would describe as their, their basic wiring in terms of how they see things, I think it's also critical to learn how they communicate and receive love. And trust me, I learned this later in my life, in my adult years, and I wish I would have learned it a lot earlier. I hope you can hear some of this stuff. Because, you see, you, you see this happen all the time in families. is two people, really, and they love each other, and they want to communicate that they love each other, but because they're speaking in different languages, it's like, whew. I'll tell you how crazy this is. And this is true. Is that you can have two people who are trying to tell each other, I love you, and what the other person hears is, I don't love you. How crazy is that? How crazy is it that two people who really do love each other and want to communicate that love can speak in such a way that they're both saying, I love you, but the other person hears it as, I don't love you. And it is because they did not become a student of the people that they're trying to love. And the mistake comes in that they're not speaking their language. And this happens all the time. Apostle Paul writes about this. He says, he says and, and this, 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 this is so true, he says, if the trumpet doesn't sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? If the trumpet makes some kind of ambiguous call, if the sound that comes out is not clear, you don't know whether to charge or retreat or go left or right. You don't know what to do because you don't know what's really being said. And when you're in a family and one person is trying to say, I love you, but you don't hear because you don't speak that language you can hear, I don't love you. And it happens all the time. I think most married couples in here, if you were honest, you would have to admit, there have been times when I've been trying to communicate love, and what came through was the furthest thing from love there is. What they heard, and I don't even understand how, how they could hear that. How could that happen? I was thinking about how many times I've done this in my life, because as I said, I came into this later in my life, and, and, and I wish to God I'd done it earlier, but I, I have so many stories I could tell you so many times. I was thinking about one time, with one of my sons, this is years and years ago now, but, but um, uh, he was at a place where he was working, where he was employed, and I stopped in, and I just did something very teasing, because that's part of how I'm wired. I don't know what it is with me, but the way I communicate love to people a lot of times is I, I tease them. I, I tease them. I, I harass them. In fact, staff will tell you around here, if Jeff actually acts nice and doesn't give you a hard time, watch out something's wrong. He's not happy with you. This is kind of how I'm built. So I stopped in, and I was kind of doing this thing, which was teasing my son. And in my mind, it was like, you understand, I, I didn't even have to come here. I came here just, to, just, just to, because I love you, because you're my son, you know. And I didn't even know it until it came out later in a brutal conversation. But it was crushingly embarrassing to him and painful beyond what I could even understand. Even when he told me, even when he told me with all the emotion, I was like, what? 
how, how does that work? But it's because I did not bother to understand that the way that I say I love you to my family is not in my language, but in theirs. Did you hear that? I mean, that was like good preaching right there. Okay. May not be a whole lot in this talk, but that don't miss it, all right? If I want to say I love you, the greatest way I say I love you is when I do it in their language, not in my language. So some of you have heard of the book called The Five Languages of Love. This, this, is, this is a book that's sold millions, and it is, it's 25 years old now. Actually, we have it, last I knew, uh, we have it in our bookstore, and we just sell it for you know, what, it, what it costs us. But uh, I will tell you, this book has had a profound impact on my life. 25 years old. But this book still speaks to, to, I'm one of the millions of people who have been affected by this book. And in it, Dr. Gary Chapman, the author, talks about five different languages that people speak when they're expressing and receiving love. And it's critical to understand those. And, and so I'm not going to try to do the book for you, but I'm going to run through these real quickly because I think they're so, so important. And the, the, the first one is, let's just jump right in. The first, one of the first love languages that you see in people is some people, for them, words of affirmation are how they hear love and how they try to express love. So what that means is they're, generally speaking, they're a verbal person, they're a word person. They like words. And so for them to hear love, it means everything to them when they hear it spoken verbally. So when someone communicates either in written form but, but, but through words. Now some of you, that's not your language. We'll see. We'll talk about this in a minute. But for some of us, and I am part of this crowd, this is my, out of the five, this is my number one primary language of love. When I hear words of affirmation, when they come to me either written or when they come to me spoken by someone else, that's when I feel love. So periodically I'll have a kid, one of my own kids come up to me, and you just have no idea what this is like when you're a preacher and one of your kids who they know you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, they know you, and when they come to you and they'll say, Dad, I listened to that talk you gave this weekend. Oh my gosh, it spoke to me, and I just want you to know I am so proud of you for what you do. And I'm just a little puddle right down on the floor, right down in front of them. And it's like, okay, we're changing the will. All the other kids are out. You're it. <laughs> because I feel love. Because I feel love. Now, the, 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 the hard part of this, see, is that those for whom this is not their primary love language or secondary love language, it's almost confusing to them because words don't mean much to them. Don't show me words. Show me action. Do this thing. Do whatever it is. And we'll talk about those in a second. But, but it's like, so, 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 and this is what I've also observed, is that you're going to marry somebody and you have, will have like a primary and secondary love language and whoever you marry, they're not going to have either one of those. It's just almost inevitable. And so I married a woman and whom words of affirmation is not her primary or secondary. I don't know where it comes like, number eight or nine on her list, I'm not sure, out of five. So it's just w words of affirmation are not, were not a big thing for her. And so this is so crazy because early in our marriage, this is what would happen. I would, you know, I would tell her all the time, I love you. Because see, for me, I was saying, you know, to, the way to say I love you was to say I love you out loud, you know, or, or whatever. And she told me, I cannot tell you how many times she would say this to me. She looked at me multiple times and she'd just go, you say I love you too much. I'm like... What? I'm pretty sure it's not possible for me to say it enough. 
And it's sure as heck you not saying it enough. I'm pretty sure you're going to hell for that reason because I feel that strongly about it. I'm joking, all right? I'm joking on that. But she's telling me, you say it too much. And it's my love language. And I'm like, how is that possible? Because it's not her language. Are you with me? First one, first one is the idea of words of affirmation. The second one, and of course this is a big one for my wife, is quality time. Quality time. Now the idea behind this is, is it's not just time together. Would you say that first word out loud with me please? Quality. So, so don't go, well we've been living together for 20 years, we're in the same house, we've had all kinds of time together. No, that's not the idea here. The idea is that it's quality. And, and for you guys who are going, does that mean like we have to sit on the couch and stare into each other's eyes? And uh, No, no, it's not weirdness necessarily. What it is, is it's being together. Maybe it's just when you're eating a meal or going for a walk or talking about what's happened in your day. But the idea is that how the person who speaks this primarily This is the way they sense love coming. Words don't cut it. But you spend time with me, and I feel that love. You spend time with me, and I feel that love. And the way you see how people speak their language, the way you can understand what their language is, is you watch them, because that's how they express it. They may not say, you know, it's like with Ann and I, you know, it's like, it's like, why don't you say I love you more? And why are you hanging around me so much? Go away, you know, it's because she was speaking her language, but I was trying to speak. Do you see how we do that? And this is exactly what happens in people's lives. So quality time is what. Here's, here's the third one. And it is receiving gifts. Now, this is where people have a very, the, the, the giving and receiving of gifts is how they communicate love. And it's very tangible. This is their primary love language. Gifts are a big deal. Now, I know some of you husbands are leaning over and going, honey, I'm pretty sure that's mine and that bass boat I've been wanting. This is now, do you understand how to say I love you? No, 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 all right? Actually, for a person that, that giving and receiving a gift is their language of love, the, 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 the value of the gift is insignificant. It is not about how much a gift costs. It is not about greed. It's not about any of that. It's about it communicates I love you. The people who have this as their primary love language... It's always so funny. These people, they're the ones that keep trinket shops in business. Because they're always buying crap and giving it to you, and you're like, thank you. What am I going to do with this? This is nothing. This isn't the thing. It is that I gave it to you. How can you tell if they have that love language? They do it. They do it all the time. So you watch them. You pay attention. This is critically important to understand. When you do that, when you understand that, they get concerned if you're not giving gifts, not because they're greedy, but because it says, I love you. So do you have somebody in your family like that? Okay, here, here's the fourth one. You've got words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, and then acts of service. Now, this is another one that is just like these people almost never have a, a primary or secondary language of words when they're acts of service. For them, the way you say you love me is, don't say I love you. Help with the dishes or, or you know, do this thing, uh, you know, whatever it is that, that speaks love. Because what the, to them, it's like words are hollow unless they're... 
And the way you can identify these people is pr- pretty easy, really, is, is that they're always serving people. They're, serv- they're, just, they're, they're like natural servants. They're volunteers. And these people that have this language of love, oh, it's so powerful when you get this because then you understand, really, what I do when I want to say I love them is I just do stuff, and they hear it. They hear it because you're now speaking in their language. Acts simply, acts of service. One more. I don't want to finish this up for time's sake, but, but here's it. we got words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service. And again, the book is so much better to go through all this stuff in more detail. But the last one is physical touch. Now, again, this is where some of the husbands are leaning over going, honey, I was waiting. This is my, yeah, baby, this is my love language. No, no, no. This language of love is so far beyond the act of sex, which I'm not denigrating. That's awesome. But I'm saying this is not about sex. This is about physical touch. Just the brush of an arm, the touch on a shoulder, something communicates uncommon comfort and security to the person who's receiving that. It means the world to them. And it speaks to them so profoundly. So again, you know, I I can only really relate most of this stuff from my own life, but some of you have heard me talk about this. My secondary language is physical touch. And Anne's is not. And so I was always like, why won't you hold my hand more often? Why, you know? And, and it would be like, I always felt like she just, why aren't you affectionate? Why don't you, this is early in our marriage, before she began to make a study of everybody in, in her family so diligently, but, and, and since she's so changed, but, but early on, I was just, what is wrong with, why won't you be more affectionate? And we'd be, we'd be going to church somewhere. And we'd be sitting in, a, in, in a chairs, and I'd look a couple rows ahead, and here's this woman next to her, her husband or boyfriend or whatever, and she puts her arm over on his back, and then she starts running her fingers up through his hair like that. And I'm just like, uh. I mean, I have drool coming down my chin. Now that's how a woman loves her man. But I had to marry the devil. So you know what I would do? This is horrible. But I would, she just, it's not obvious enough apparently. So I would lean forward, and then I would lean way over in front of a chair like that, and then I would start moving my head around like this. Surely she can get it now. And you know what she would do? She'd lean down and say, are you feeling sick or something? What's wrong? <laughs> yes, I am. In all this, here's the thing. You have a choice. And really, you do with this what you want to, but you have a choice. Do you choose to study and then speak the language of the person you want to love, or do you wait for them to speak yours and keep missing each other? You have a choice. Can I just finish by telling you a story of deep regret in my own life? As I said, I didn't really come to understand this until quite a bit later in my life. But I believed pretty much the whole time my dad was alive that my dad did not love me. I mean, even as a pastor, I, even, even, you know, it wasn't that I didn't forgive him for it or anything. I just believed the man seems to be incapable of loving one of his sons. I, I couldn't speak for his other two sons, but I could speak for me. I was pretty sure he did not really love me because he never said, not until about 
three months before he died, and, and then I'd kept pushing it. He never said, I love you. I, don't, I couldn't tell you a handful of times that he ever said, I'm proud of you. He just didn't speak words of affirmation. And physical touch was the furthest thing from my dad. I mean, even when I'd see him after it had been a long time since I'd seen him, it'd be like, it'd be like hey, Dad, and he'd go, good to see you. Kind of put his head away like that and hold his hand out to shake my hand because physical touch was not his thing. And I just thought, the man is incapable of love. So in 1997, Dad died. Not too long after that, I got the book, and I was reading it. And I don't know what got me thinking about it. But I thought, I wonder what my dad's love languages were. And then I started thinking back to every time I'd go see him, he'd be like, hey, do you need your car fixed? What, you want me to, I can change oil. He, he was always trying to do stuff for me. And then the other thing he was doing, he was always trying to give me stuff. He said, you need a pair of gloves? I got a lot of gloves around here. You need an extra hammer. The man had like 50 hammers. I don't know what was wrong with him. You know, but he's like, do you need this tool? Do you need these parts? Do you need anything? He's always trying to give me stuff. And I'm always like, stop trying to give me stuff and do stuff for me. Why don't you just tell me you're proud of me or I've done something well? Why don't you be friendly and act, you know, give me a hug once in a while, that kind of thing. You're my dad. And, and I was so convinced that my dad did not love me because he never seemed to be able to say it. And what I entirely missed was that my dad told me he loved me 10,000 times. But it was in a language I didn't understand. And if I could get a do-over on that one, baby, I sure would. That's why I think this stuff matters. All right. Sermon over. Let's stand to our feet and we'll close with prayer. We'll have people in front who'd love to pray with you if you need prayer afterwards. I just challenge you. You will never regret studying the people in your family so that you can say to them, I love you in their language. You will never regret that. So now, God, as we leave, help us to walk out with hopeful hearts and with a determination to follow your mandate for us as your followers to love one another as you loved us. And we trust that you'll help us. In Jesus' name, let's say it together, amen. amen. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day.